Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. Our mission is to live the way of Jesus so we can leave the world better than we found it. If you'd like more information about our church, you can click on the link in the show notes or head to Christ-community.com. All right, let's get started. So let's continue worshiping in the reading and preaching of God's word. Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demons left. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thank you, Ellen. Yeah, thank you, team, also for leading this this morning. I'm looking like, where is everybody? Uh, kind of spread throughout. But uh, I just think it's really sweet uh, that we have uh, a team that, you know, uh, Ian can step back and run the tech for a week. And we've got uh, volunteers that are really gifted and given their hearts and gifts uh, in this way. And so... Uh, I'm impressed, y'all. Thank you so much for for leading in that way. Come on. Uh, come on. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to dive uh, into our last week of this uh, this part, this portion of our series in Mark. Uh, and if you've been here for the last few weeks, you know, we're, we're wrapping this little portion up, but then we're going to come back to it. And I can't remember what it is. We're kind of doing this thing of intertwining several books of the Bible over the course of this year. We'll come back to Mark several times. We'll start uh, a series in Genesis in a few weeks, uh, and we'll do a few weeks there and come back to it a little later, and then Colossians uh, as well. So we're wrapping up Mark uh, here in the first chapter uh, with this story, these two stories really that kind of joined uh, together in what's called a, a, a pericope. There's your there's your big Bible theology word for the day that you will really never need to know, but it's a pericope. <laughs> these go together, right? Uh, and so we're looking at uh, Jesus's authority. We've been talking about him as the, the once and future king, right? That Mark is introducing us to the king here. And uh, last week, we looked at some of Jesus's authority in teaching. And this week, we are seeing a lot of like his applied authority uh, over uh, sickness and uh, the physical realm, as well as the spiritual realm. And so as we do so, let me ask you one more time, uh, this, this may end up just a long-term pattern for us, but are you ready for the gospel? Is your heart ready for good news this morning? I don't know where you're coming from. Hopefully our time of confession was a good moment to like, oh, yeah, let me get recentered on the reality of the gospel this morning. But let me pray for us one more time uh, that our hearts would be softened to what God has for us this morning. And in particular, that our hearts would be ready to hear his good news and how it applies to us this morning. Okay, Lord, we ask you, well, we ask you to be here among us, to be here with us as we look at your word. Uh, we ask you that you would not allow us to merely glance at your word, glance at perhaps our own hearts, and then walk away unchanged, but that we would encounter you here, Holy Spirit, that you would transform us even just a little bit as a result of hearing your good news this morning. Make our hearts ready for the gospel. It is the power of you, God. You tell us that. It's your power for those who are being saved. And so uh, we ask that we might receive this morning in Christ's name. Amen. 
All right. Uh, so I'm going to start talking about uh, Jesus by talking about a bridge in South Carolina. There's uh, I, I, my brother-in-law used to live, uh, brother and sister-in-law used to live down in Beaufort, South Carolina, briefly. And uh, my wife's family is mostly all around Charleston. And so uh, it was a pretty easy drive from Charleston to go down, uh, visit her brother a little bit. And um, really pretty drive as well from, from Charleston, kind of down along the coast to Beaufort, which is close-ish to Hilton Head, if you're not familiar with that area. Uh, and there's just a dinky little bridge that we would drive over uh, every once in a while. And, and one time I noticed the little green marker on the side of the road that said Harriet Tubman Bridge. Uh, and, you know, that might catch your eye you're like, oh, wonder why that's called Harriet Tubman Bridge. That's very interesting. And then, but it clicked for me. I just listened to a podcast about like this very area and what this is all about. And so, you know, if you're not familiar with the story of Harriet Tubman, uh, here was someone who was a slave who uh, had, had gotten her freedom and then right, began to lead other slaves out of freedom. That's the big, you know, broad brushstroke version of her life. Uh, she would lead other slaves on the Underground Railroad uh, up into non-slave states, right? Free states. And uh, the story was, that sometimes she would always carry a gun with her. And the gun was not always for those who might attack them from the outside or try to take people back into slavery. It was also for those she was leaving, right? Uh, because she could not afford uh, for anyone to desert, for anyone to get freaked out somewhere in Virginia right? and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn back. I'm going to go back to the plantation. Uh, it was better for me there. So she had a gun with her. Uh, and she said, listen, we are all going or nobody's going. Right. Uh, and so Harriet Tubman was tough. Uh, and so she did some really interesting work down around Buford, uh, not far from that where that bridge was. Uh, there's a little church begun by a man named Shedrick Manigo, who's a, a freed slave. And there's this whole little community of folks, uh, mostly his family and those uh, who are connected to them that, that he began as a result of Harriet Tubman coming along. She uh, helped to start what would be the second regiment South Carolina volunteer infantry of African descent. Uh, and so Shedrick got free and joined up and he went back up the little river right around Beaufort to his old plantation to help set free uh, probably family that was there, other slaves who were there on this plantation owned by a man named Joshua Nichols. And so they, they would come down the river uh, in these little hollowed out logs at night, sneak up onto the plantation, set a bunch of stuff on fire, uh, and then get the, the slaves uh, out. And there's actually a, a quote from this Joshua Nichols that survives from newspapers back then. He said this, my house servants, I, I'm going to read this normally, but it's so hard for me not to do like a, uh, you know, like deep South kind of accent on this one, but I'm just keep it normal. My house servants all stood around me, professing the utmost attachment and their perfect willingness to obey my commands, but not exhibiting the slightest degree of alarm or surprise. I ordered them to follow me and to the woods. They all professed a willingness to do so, but not one made a sign of moving. So I was, I was forced to fly to the woods for protection. And so I just, as we start this, y'all wonder, can you put yourself in those shoes for a moment? Imagine the feeling of being treated as property for years, 
maybe, you know, your entire lifetime, however long that would have been, and then seeing Harriet Tubman's regiment coming up from the river to liberate you. Can you imagine watching that plantation burn? It'd be pretty cool. That's what Jesus is up to in a much greater sense in this passage. He's coming to liberate the captives, isn't he? He's coming to liberate the captives. And I pray uh, that as we look at this, our hearts would begin uh, to feel it the same way that maybe those folks did. So we're, we're looking at this passage this morning where he's healing, he's driving out spirits. We're wrapping up again this, uh, this series in Mark uh, where Mark is kind of coming from, from place to place. Uh, he's really focused on what does Jesus do? Right. And so in particular, what we're seeing here is like, what is Jesus doing with this authority that he's made claim to? And so uh, three things that are kind of be categories for us as we look at this passage this morning. One is Jesus cares about fevers. Two is that Jesus care for people, brought them to him in droves. And the third thing is Jesus care for people is driven by his care for his mission. So Jesus cares about fevers. May seem simple, may seem like, yeah, sure, why not? But he says, uh, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and so he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And so we're, we're still in this same sort of area. We've looked at this map each week, right, that uh, he's been in Capernaum. Uh, which is up on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, right around here. He may still be in this area or maybe right over here uh, in Bethsaida. The Gospel of John uh, talks about uh, Simon and Andrew's house being uh, further up in Bethsaida. So it could be uh, that after they were in the synagogue that day, they were going for what would be the traditional meal right afterwards to, to Peter's house, Simon Peter's house, uh, which maybe would be about an hour and a half walk up to Bethsaida, or it could be among fishing communities in particular, there might be more than one uh, uh, property that would be owned by a family. So they could have been just right there uh, in Capernaum. We don't really have uh, a sense of exactly where they were, but they're, they're in this general vicinity right around the Sea of Galilee still. They're going uh, to this house of Peter's mother-in-law, and she has a fever, and Jesus cares about her fever. He stops, doesn't he? And in particular, you know, for us, fever might seem like a small thing. We have, we have modern medicines. Right? It's no big deal, typically, unless, you know, when you've got a little one and the fever is getting really high, you might start to get nervous, especially, right? By the, we got three at this point, you know, like, uh, if he's not on fire, he's good, you know? Uh, but, but there is that, that process a little bit as you go along, isn't there? Like, you're, you're kind of cooler with, like, eh, let's just see how that shakes out. But fevers are not as big of a deal for us. Uh, they were no small thing back then, though. Without modern medicines, uh, fever is certainly uh, no small thing. And yet, uh, even if it wasn't fever, even if it was something more major medically, right, in terms of health, don't we often treat these things as if, I mean, it's a big deal to me. Is it a big deal to God? We kind of get stuck in our heads. And I remember my mom says that, uh, that her mom at one point told her not to pray about something. Like, God has bigger things to worry about. <laughs> Do you feel like that? Like, God doesn't care about my fevers. 
God has bigger things to worry about, okay? Even with, without modern medicine, I think there's this tendency for us to think that maybe God doesn't care. To think that, ah, you know, I've got this health issue. Maybe it's something that I'm afraid would, would even take my life. But I don't know. God, God doesn't care about that stuff quite as much. I'm, I'm just kind of a, I'm a pawn in the whole, the whole game, the whole plan. It's not what Jesus shows us. It's not what Jesus shows us at all, regardless of whether the fever was a small thing or very serious and more comparable to, to serious issues that we might have. Jesus treats this as if it matters. Jesus cares about her suffering. Jesus goes in and he's with her in her suffering. It's funny, there's it's this very small passage, but there's several uh, several spots where there's some parallels or things we can draw from uh, the other Gospels. Uh, Luke says that this fever in particular was great. And so this is significant. She really is suffering as well. And Luke says that Jesus, uh, he, he leaves out the part that Jesus touched her, but uh, but he says that Jesus rebuked it. Right, and so we can see Jesus' authority right there in Mark, but then Luke gives us a little, a little more to think about, doesn't he? He rebukes the fever. He says, "Get back." Um, Jesus displays here. Tim Keller says he's not just the king of the spiritual; he's the king of the physical as well. He applies his authority there. He applies his authority to a sick mother-in-law. He stops and he cares. Uh, Just think about even on an earthly plane, someone really important stopping caring. There's a story I've heard, it's third hand, uh, uh, second hand, I guess, perhaps, of uh, uh, the the pastor of the church that I used to go to for a long time. I got to meet somebody who was really important, uh, such that he, he went out on the tarmac to uh, on the, uh, at the airport uh, at Hartsfield and uh, got to shake this person's hand. And the story goes, is told to me by one of the other pastors where I was, that uh, this person stopped for a moment, looked my pastor in the eye, uh, and asked him about something very specific about our church. Right? Our church was uh, very uh, focused on discipleship, and he stopped and said, Pastor, how's the discipleship going? Can you imagine? We got Air Force One up there, so maybe you got an idea of who the important person was. But can you imagine for a moment uh, someone high-ranking coming up to you? You have no earthly idea that they know anything about you. They pause. They're with you. They ask you something personal, even. Oh, you'd tell that story to your grandkids, wouldn't you? If you, if you get to have great grandkids, you'd still tell that story to your great grandkids. Uh, you'd tell that story pretty much every time you were at a party, unless you're just racking them up, then, you know, whatever. But it, it would be a big deal. It would be important. It might make you feel important. The God man, the king of all, stops and is with her and cares about her fever. And that is important. 
Second thing, Jesus' care for people <laughs> brings people to him in droves. It says that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, right? So this is hyperbole. This is a, a, a phrase of speech, like the, just the same that we would say, like, man, all of Athens showed up one morning, right? Uh, the whole town showed up. Uh, everybody's there, and many are healed. That all and many are not opposed to each other, by the way, right? It's like everybody's showing up, and, and this many of the all are being healed. Everybody who's coming to him to be healed or to have demons driven out, he's doing it, right? And so it came, they came at night, uh, so this is the Sabbath day still. Remember last week we talked about it. Uh, Jesus went into the synagogue. He's taught with authority. He drove out demons or one demon uh, with authority as well. And so on this same day, uh, they're going to, to the mother-in-law's house. And people are waiting until the evening to bring all of their lame and sick and demon-possessed folks in to Jesus because it's the Sabbath. Because it's, uh, they're thinking, this, this is unlawful for me to even uh, carry my ailing loved one to see him. Rushing in. Reminds me of uh, this one time when I was in high school. Uh, actually, this is the second time in two weeks that this mission trip is getting an illustration. So I need to call my old youth pastor and thank him for taking me on the mission trip, giving me some illustrations. But we were uh, we were out in California, our youth group together. We were doing some, some mission stuff. And we took a little break and went to Six Flags. And Grant Hill was there. And... Grant Hill in the mid-90s was like, oh, this is the next Jordan. This is the next Michael Jordan. Now, that's not exactly how things played out for Grant Hill. You can still see him as a commentator, et cetera. But some of you are like, I don't even know who that is, man. Well, he's standing beside Michael Jordan. That's who he is. Uh, and so the word got out, Grant Hill is at Six Flags right now. And y'all, I've never run. I've never run so fast in my life. We all sprinted down just to like see him ordering a corn dog. There was not even, there was nothing. I didn't shake his hand. I didn't get an autograph. There was nothing like that. We saw like the back of his head. Really, that's all it was. But we're rushing to see him, right? Because there's this excitement. Someone, someone important is at the Six Flags. Someone who might be the next Michael Jordan is at Six Flags. And we take off running. Far greater like everybody's just running to Jesus. They've heard who he is, or at least what he can do, and they're bringing people to him. Uh, and what brought them exactly? Well, healing, for sure, right? They're hearing these stories. He cast out a demon at the synagogue. Uh, he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. And, and not only did he heal her, though, right? There's this, uh, this is not a magic trick. Total healing. She goes from like she might not make it to serving them. Like, hey, what do y'all want for lunch? Let's get this going, right? Let's get the party started. She starts serving them lunch. I don't know, they probably didn't call it lunch back then, but you know the meal I'm talking about. It's in the middle of the day. There's this total healing that's going on. You know, word is spreading. Like, this is amazing. People are bolting to see Jesus. It says, uh, not only that, right? Uh, not only this total healing, not only did he rebuke the sickness, but he takes her hand. 
takes your hand. And we don't see a whole lot of detail. Remember, Mark is pretty sparse on details. He's all about the actions, but uh, parallel passages say he, he's touching people as he heals them, right? He's touching people. He's taking uh, her hand. Over time, in Jewish communities, certain Jewish communities, Orthodox in particular, uh, there are folks that began to say, like, oh, we can't even touch the opposite sex at all for fear of anything that may be sinful that may come about. I don't know if this was exactly going on at that time or not, but th that's the level of just, uh, it's scandalous even, that Jesus would come to these people and put his hands on and take their hands Right across these boundary lines in society, male, female, those who are, are sick, perhaps, those who are vulnerable. Jesus is coming to them. He, he's touching them. The parallel in Matthew 8 says that it's to fulfill the prophecy that he would take our illnesses and bear our diseases. I was quoting Isaiah there, and your English translation may say in Isaiah, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. It's like, oh, what's Matthew doing there? Because it, it looks like Isaiah is saying griefs and sorrows, you know, maybe internal, maybe emotional stuff, maybe spiritual stuff. It's actually about the spiritual. Jesus is doing the spiritual work. But Matthew takes it and applies it and says, uh, not just griefs and sorrows, illnesses and diseases as well, right? And so what Matthew is doing, first of all, is perhaps translating uh, Isaiah slightly better than some of the Greek translations at the time that would have said something more along the times of uh, a lines of grief and sorrows, uh, and applying it out. It's not just griefs and sorrows. It's illness and disease as well. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to make things right. Jesus came uh, to put his hands on those who might be seen as like, oh, they might cause you to sin somehow. They might cause you to be ritually impure. Jesus came to be with them. And, and Calvin says to, to lay his hand on them was this symbol, not only of their physical healing, right? So it's not only spiritual, but it's physical. And not only physical, but it's spiritual. It's, it's also a symbol of the reconciliation that he is bringing them in there reconciling God and man. It's awesome, which is what Jesus is all about. Third thing, Jesus' care for his people is driven by his care for his mission. We're going to draw this out from seeing, uh, right? Jesus healed many who had various diseases, it says. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. They knew who he was. Uh, and, and they knew what he came to do at least generally, uh, and he would not let them speak. There's a little bit of, uh, if you look at commentators on this one, uh, a little bit of variance on opinion of what is Jesus doing exactly here? Why is he so intent on the demons better shut up, <laughs> right? Even if they are saying something true, like, uh, I'm the holy one, right? Or we know who you are, Jesus, right? Jesus tells them immediately, over and over again, be quiet, immediately. He commands them. Uh, and he exerts his authority over them. 
one commentator uh, uh, said he believes that it's because uh, in the ancient world, there was a sense of speaking someone's name would give control. Uh, and so the demons were attempting to have control over the situation and maybe even try to speak in their own defense somehow. And Jesus was shutting that down uh, immediately. Uh, there's this interesting parallel, by the way, also of these spirits that are present, that are trying to exert their control and power, at least over individuals uh, whom they were possessing. Uh, and Jesus, who we saw a few weeks ago, is uh, possessed by the Spirit of God, right? And so Jesus is demonstrating there that the Spirit of God, uh, there's no comparison between the power, the authority of the Spirit of God in him and these weakly spirits that have to shut themselves up the moment he says something Right. Jesus is not there, whatever the reason would be, he is not there to have demons recognize him, or anyone else for that matter in that moment. He is there to finish his task. He is there for his mission's sake, isn't he? The next few verses, I maybe should have included these, but uh, we'll we'll come back to these in a little bit, uh, a few months. Very early in the morning, while it's still dark, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes to a solitary place where he uh, is praying. And Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they had found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. He's all about his mission and moving forward. And of course, his preaching, why he has come, led to the cross, his ultimate uh, reason for uh, the incarnation, right? And he's unstoppable. He's absolutely unstoppable. He's unstoppable in terms of his power, because he is the God-man, but also just in terms of his will, right? The scriptures say he set his face on Jerusalem, uh, and he would not be turned back. You think of, again, like that story of, of Harriet Tubman with the slaves. She would not be turned back. We're in this, again, Black History Month. I'm thinking about a lot of these stories of those who have gone before us, particularly those uh, who were believers, who endured much, who persevered right, with the fruit of the Spirit. Think of uh, so many different stories of pushing for uh, to finish the job. Yeah, we're no longer property. There are a few things we got to set straight here. Perseverance. Think of uh, uh, examples of uh, even the Allied troops. They weren't they weren't satisfied to win a few battles, to win the war overall, so to speak. They marched on. They kept moving uh, to dock out. They kept moving to liberate uh, those who were certainly going to be murdered or uh, made slaves, et cetera. The, the job wasn't finished. The task wasn't finished. Uh, Abraham Piper, the old Dutch theologian uh, and strangely enough politician, uh, said this, this is a great quote, uh, in terms of Jesus and his moving forward in his mission. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Don't hear what I'm not saying here, right? I am not pitting uh, uh, the mission of Jesus against his care. 
right? That's a false dichotomy, right? God's mission is God's glory, right? Endlessly enjoying the great beauty that is him, himself, Father, Son, and Spirit eternally, right? And God is glorified uh, in creation and in redemption and in fellowship with people giving himself. Yeah, I mentioned we're going to step into Genesis in a few weeks. I was reading this article yesterday that was just incredible to me and kind of unveiling even more to me about the name with which God reveals himself right, uh, to uh, Moses in Exodus, and in, in, he talks about himself as Yahweh, which uh, people have said, you know, is, is uh, probably related to his phrase that I am what I am, or I am that I am, and this article from this great, great uh, scholar of the Old Testament was talking about, it's not just that, it's not just I am, it is I am here. There's this sense of presence in the Hebrew word there. He's here. He's with his people. He's here to give himself. And it's this application of his mission of giving himself to people that drives him uh, specifically to be present in these moments in Christ Jesus to specifically care. Jesus was here to die. Jesus was here to die, all right? We, we rejected this life-giving one, this life-giving king, but he would not stop. He wouldn't stop, right? He's here not just to, to care and heal a fever. That's important, right? He's here to take the wrath of God on our behalf. That's the good news. And not just one fever, no more fevers, uh, because God wants people to have real, true, spiritual life. He causes that life then uh, to extend out into the physical. Yeah. And Peter's mother-in-law was a, a foretaste of this consummation that was to come, right? Man, God could just save my disembodied soul and I would be good, <laughs> right? I mean, that'd be good enough. I'll take it. As a matter of fact, uh, a lot of religion in America has tried to uh, take the good news of the gospel and sort of truncate it, make it only about the spiritual. And we still think it's pretty good, don't we? But it's better than that. It's better than that, right? Full human flourishing in the full presence of our God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, King Jesus came to banish all sin and suffering and to provide gentle love and care for his fragile people. He is a warrior against the fall and all things that come out of the fall, right? Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism said it this way, and it's really good. Uh, it says, Christ executes the office of king in subduing us to himself and in ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. He is a, a warrior against our sin. Uh, he is a warrior against our infirmity as well, against sickness and death. He is a warrior who gently takes the hand of older women and cares for them here and now and their physical ailments as well. And so uh, in Jesus, 
all who follow him then represent him in, in his offices on some level. He, he's a prophet. We speak truth. He's a, he's a priest. Uh, we help people to find life in him. He's a king. So in our gifts and ministry, uh, we're to be about making things right. Uh, making things ordered, right? Even, even organized. Some of y'all are organization freaks. I just spoke your language. You're like, yes, amen, right? Uh, organized for, for human flourishing and for his glory to make things just. Insofar as we have uh, the ability to do that, where we have influence, et cetera, we're called into this, brothers and sisters. And so here's a, a question I would love for you to ponder this week. As you think about your calling and how it may be kingly in nature, are you more warrior or are you more gentle? Do you tend uh, to be a little more on the side of gentle or a little more on the side of a warrior? And then secondarily, what would it look like uh, to follow Jesus in such a way that he pulls you a little more balanced? Second question would be this. Are we more gentle or more warrior as a collective? And it could be the opposite. It could be that a whole bunch of us would be more warrior and our collective tends to lean more gentle or vice versa. I don't know. Uh, but particularly those of you who are members and who are part of Christ's community, I'd love to ask us to think on that as well. Are we collectively more warrior or more gentle? And what would it look like for the Holy Spirit as he calls us forward uh, uh, to grow us, right? to bring us more balance uh, individually, collectively, as we follow him. I'm not going to define that for us quite yet, uh, but I do think uh, the balance in Jesus is a beautiful thing that we are called into together. Uh, there's an illustration that I saw last night, and I decided to bench my uh, my illustration that I originally had. We've been watching this show. I think I mentioned it last year because uh, uh, season two aired about this time last year. Season three uh, is airing right now of uh, a show that I absolutely adore. It's on PBS. It's a it's a masterpiece show. Right, uh, which is like the Downton Abbey thing, uh, and it's called All Creatures Great and Small. And I said it last year, and it's still true. I love it because it's boring. I really do. I really do. Y'all, I need some boring in my life. Uh, the like the drama on this show is like, oh man, we got a dog has a cavity. Let's help it. <laughs> it's just low key, like people living on farms out in I don't know Yorkshire area of of England, and it's great. It's beautiful. The scenery is beautiful. The, the storylines are kind of, you know, funny and uh, fun, and I love it. And so we we decided, it airs on Sunday nights. We're like, oh, are we going to, we haven't taught the last few episodes. We're like, oh, episode three is going to lock up. PBS is going to lock it. We're not going to be able to get to it. We got to watch it uh, Saturday night. So we watched an episode last night, and uh, one of the main characters is uh, training a horse like one of his old buddies from the military got this uh, incredible horse that's just wild and won't let anybody ride on it. And uh, throughout the episode, uh, the others on this farm want to put the horse down. They're like, this is too much work, right? Uh, it's too much work. N nobody wants a horse that nobody can ride. 
we just got to get rid of it. Let's put it down. Uh, and this main character, he's a veterinarian, mostly like for farm animals and stuff, right? And uh, he's just moved that he can't do it. And so you see him over and over again. In just this brief episode, he comes back again and again, and he's gentle with this horse in a way that uh, nobody else will be. And he's patient with this horse in a way that nobody else would be. And, and slowly but surely, it goes from throwing off anybody that would uh, get on his saddle uh, to riding alongside this other horse to finally allowing this lead character, Siegfried, uh, to ride him. And there's, there's a, a moment of like joy toward the end of it. And I just thought, man, that is, for me, a great illustration of Christ Jesus and his spirit walking alongside us. He is a warrior. <laughs> he is a warrior against uh, uh, the sin that has enslaved us. He is a warrior against the presence of sin in my life and our lives as well. And yet he is gentle and comes alongside of us again and again and again, uh, bringing us uh, more and more into life. The experience of true life that one day we will know in fullness, in fullness, and not only spiritually, but also physically. There is a new heavens and a new earth, and the king is coming again to bring us to it. Let me pray. Lord, as we sang earlier, we love you. Well, somewhere along the line, we've come into an encounter with the reality of your good news and your offer of love to us and said, oh, yes, that's where I need to be. That's where I need to be in him. And so we are very imperfect followers of you, imperfect lovers of you, and yet we love you because your spirit is birthed in us. And as we think on you, Lord Jesus, the King who has come to uh, liberate us from our sin, from our sickness, from all of the effects of the fall, we pray for hearts that would just be in awe, that would be absolutely in awe of who you are, the beautiful reality of you, Lord Jesus. And this morning and throughout the rest of our week, uh, would lean into uh, our following of you in light of the good news where we know there are, there are things in our, maybe our personal lives and Things where we have influence in our, our jobs or relationships, et cetera, where things need to be made right. And yet we have to do it the way you do it, with gentleness, with love, with care, with respect. And it's impossible if you don't empower us, if you don't lead us forward. And so we ask, would you do so? We pray these things in the matchless name of you, our Savior, Lord Jesus. Amen.